Come on, go with me to 2 Kings today. 2 Kings chapter 5. I'm going to look at verses 1 through 4. And then we'll also look at verses 9 through 14. 2 Kings chapter 5. And we'll start at verse number 1. While you're looking for it, could you just wave your Bible in the air like you just do care? Come on. A lot of glowing Bibles. Okay. The people with the paper Bibles, y'all the people that are saved for real. Um, <laughs> I'm playing, I'm playing. I'm not judging you, just as long as you got the word, you're good, you're good. Second Kings chapter 5, we'll start in verse number 1. And it says, now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but... He had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who was in, Is who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. Verse 9, so Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan. Your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought <laughs> the whole tension in this text really hinges on those two words right there. I thought, <laughs> can, can, we, can we keep it 100 today at PC? Have you ever been frustrated, agitated, and perturbed, not by what was happening in your life, but by what you thought <laughs> was going to happen? It was the preconceived notion and idea that you had before the situation, coupled with the situation, that messed you up. Come on, can we be honest? Have you ever gotten in trouble by I thought? Like, oh, I, I thought you were going to propose. You breaking up with me? Hold on. Wait. <laughs> Have you ever been in I thought I was getting a raise. Y'all are letting me go. Have you ever been frustrated by a I thought? Somebody in here right now can't even laugh at that because you are mad. <laughs> Not because of what happened, but because I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more when he tells you to go wash and be cleansed? So he went down, dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Can you say amen? Woo, I am so intrigued with so many things in this text. But particularly when Naaman, this valiant soldier, gets the prescription for his healing, his miracle, his breakthrough. His reaction to the prescription was not to give God a praise break and start shouting. He actually turned and went off in a rage. That's what I want to talk about today. Today I want to talk to you for about eight hours. <laughs> 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 I 
using, it's been a while since I've been here, um, using this as a title, The Cost of Going Off. The Cost of Going Off. Now, let me give this quick disclaimer. If you have never gone off before, I don't have a sermon for you, okay? If you if you just saved and happy all the time and you just smile at your enemies and you pray for them and you never lose your cool, you can just leave, okay? And catch us next Sunday. We'll continue the series. But if you have ever gone off or been tempted to go off, if you have ever had somebody say something so sideways to you that all of a sudden your eyebrows furled, your nose began to flare, and your heart started to palpitate, if you have ever responded to a text message or an email in all caps, <laughs> if you've ever had somebody driving so crazy in front of you when you were already late to work and you just pulled up to them right at the stop sign just so you could look at them in face. <laughs> That's who I want to talk to today. I want to talk to you about the cost <laughs> of going off. Let's pray because we're going to need it for this message. Father, you are good today. Thank you for your word. Speak to our hearts today in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Come on, everybody said? Amen. Amen. Our are there any parents in the house today? Any parents? Come on, all the parents make some noise real quick. <laughs> Let me try something else. All the people with no kids, you make some noise in here today. <laughs> Do you notice the difference in the sound? <laughs> See how the people with no kids just, oh! All that energy, of course you got that energy. You don't know the struggle that us parents are in right now. You ain't in the fight of your life. I bet you will. Woo! We just trying to survive. Have the parents cheer first because I need to see where my support group is. And I will honestly stand before you today and say, parenting is a challenging task. It is a daunting task call. I'm, there's not a single day of my life that I don't get on my knees and pray to God for wisdom to help me raise my three little humans the way he has called me to raise them. Parenting is no joke. As a matter of fact, I've often said that if you are struggling with your prayer life, then have some kids. Have some kids. I bet you learn to pray. You want to be an intercessor? Have multiple kids. And you will call on the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when you hit them teenage years, I bet you find a Costco with a big bottle of oil and get you a war room and start <laughs> calling Jehovah Rapha, all the names. It, it is a challenging task. It, it is something that will make you pray. It is something that nobody really can prepare you for. And God bless you who have teenagers. I'm telling you, that that's really got to be the fight of your life. I'm not there yet. In fact, here's my little humans real quick. Let me show you my, my little ones right here. This is the Madu crew. Y'all have that picture. That's my family. That's my beautiful bride, Taylor, and that's the Madu crew. I have a 8-year-old daughter. I have a 6-year-old son, and I have a 5-year-old daughter. Pray for you, boy. I'm trying my best to raise them in the way that God has called me to raise them. Here's what I don't want. I don't want my crazy to cap their capacity. I want them to be all that God has created and called them to be. Parenting is no joke. You got to call on the name of the Lord. You got to pray. You got to fast. 
And I've also found out that sometimes it's good to have some resources that will help you. My wife and I were recently reading a book, and the title of the book is Parenting from the Inside Out. Parenting from the Inside Out. If you want to read it, I'll give you the Wikipedia version. The book in a sentence basically says this, that parenting can and will trigger the unprocessed emotions of your childhood. That parenthood can and will trigger the unprocessed emotions of your childhood. This is the book that I'm reading before I'm taking my youngest to kindergarten for the first time. And so I'm taking her to kindergarten and I'll never forget walking in the classroom and I saw something in the corner of the classroom that I have never seen in a classroom before. I saw this whiteboard, this small whiteboard with a chair in front of it and had all these markers next to the whiteboard. So I asked the teacher, I said, what is that corner right there? She said, oh, that's the calm down corner. I said, excuse me? She said, that's the calm down corner. I said, what is the calm down corner? She said, well, these kids, their brains are still developing, and we have to help them process their emotions. So often when they're having a moment, they can go to the calm down corner, and they can color what they're feeling on the board because it's my job to help them process their anger and their emotions. And as soon as she said it, I said, can I make a reservation? for the calm down corner because I'm going through some things right now. And I know you're laughing, but how many know you need a calm down corner too? As a matter of fact, I dare say right now the culture and the climate in which we live, our whole world needs a calm down corner. It seems like our nation needs a calm down corner because is it just me or has you know, have you noticed everybody is on edge now? Everybody is, their patience is wearing thin. Everybody is going off. Everybody is having fits of rage. I was recently reading an article in the Wall Street Journal, and the title of the article arrested my attention. The title of the article was, Adults are throwing temper tantrums in public. Blame the pandemic. And the article went on to say that all of us collectively went through a trauma. This pandemic was a trauma. And because of it, many of us are losing our mind. It began to talk about how the customer service industry has reported more complaints and more outbursts. They've had to get extra security because people are going off. People are losing. Of course, these are all ungodly people. Nobody here. Nobody here. Nobody at PC. These are worldly people. But people are losing their mind and getting angry. And this was really the impetus of this message today. Because I want to ask you something that maybe a preacher has never asked you in church. And that is, how is your anger? How's your anger? See, I love this message because nobody can dismiss today's message today. Oh, yeah. It's not one of those messages just like, oh, I know six people that need this word. I don't care what campus you're in. Everybody has to deal with this message today because when it comes to anger, anger is a universal emotion. Every single one of us deal with anger. When it comes to anger, the question is not if you get angry. The question is when you get angry, what are you going to do with that feeling that emotion of anger. Oh, I know you look real cute in church today, and you look like you got it all together, but I want to know, how do you process the emotion of anger? Because how many know we all got it? Oh, yes. We, we came into the world angry. Not a single baby came into the world calm and poised, talking about, I'm not going to yell. <laughs> I would just prefer some milk right now. No, every single one of us, your first emotion in the world was, ah! going off. 
how do we deal with this emotion of anger? I want to know today, what do you do when you get mad? What do you do? You kick? You yell? You scream? Do you cuss? Cuss? Don't answer. Don't answer. What, what do you do? No, for real. What, what do you do? Do you punch a hole in the wall? What do you do? Do you throw stuff? Oh, do you just leave? Got some stormtroopers? You just, just take off? I, I want to know. I want you to think about it. What do you do when you get angry? Do you shout at the top of your lungs? Ooh, I want to pause right there because I first want to talk to some of you and I describe some of your actions. We have people in this room called the eruptors. The eruptors. Oh, y'all make me laugh. Because eruptors, when you get angry, everybody knows about it. The whole office is going to know about it. Because I'm telling you, you got a short fuse, and it is a bomb when you go off. Everybody can see it. I mean, you got smoke coming out of your nose. Everybody can see your anger. You erupt. You got eruptors. And eruptors, y'all trip me out. Because after you lose it, after you've thrown the stapler across the cubicle, then you calm down, and you're like, Oh, my God. Did I do that? Did I just do that? Did I just walk on stage and slap him? Did I just do that? It's after. It's after the moment, right? It's never in it. But after you come to your senses and you go, did I just act that crazy? And guess what? You did. And you were. And this is what you have to understand about anger is that it is impossible to operate in wisdom and anger at the same time. It is impossible. This is why I love the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom, because the book of Proverbs is replete with scriptures that let you know that if you do not take care of your anger, you cannot operate in wisdom. Look at what it says in Proverbs chapter number 14, verse 29. It says, people with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. Translation, you are stupid <laughs> when you get angry. And I laugh at you eruptors. Y'all really do. Y'all make me laugh when y'all go off. Here's why. Because I'm not one of you. I'm not. I, I am not an eruptor. I'm in the category of another group of people, and we are called the stuffers. Stuffers are different than eruptors because whenever us stuffers get mad, we don't yell. We don't kick. We don't scream. We stuff. And so although we get angry, we're not going to let you know that we get angry. And you'll be in our face going, are you mad? Are you mad? And we will look at you and go, no, I'm fine. No, no, it's okay. It's, it happens. It's just life. And all while we're telling you we're okay and smiling, we are ruminating and rehearsing over every single thing that you did. We cannot believe you have the nerve and the audacity and the unmitigated gall to do what you did. And we are stuffing it down into the basement of our soul until it becomes a cantankerous cesspool of bitterness. And all while we smile, and we're going, I'm fine. <laughs> On the inside, we want to explode. And hear me, as a stuffer, stuffers might be worse than eruptors. Because often stuffers become eruptors. And not only that, your physical body cannot even handle you stuffing in that emotion. Oh, the medical community will tell you that anger will do more damage to your physical body than grief and then anxiety. Anger will mess up your nervous system. Anger will affect your blood pressure. Anger will give you a heart attack. Anger will aid you. Oh yeah, do your research. You can get all the exfoliation. Just keep on getting angry. And it will affect your skin because our body was not meant to stuff. 
And we also were not called to erupt. And yet anger is inevitable. So what am I supposed to do with it? I'm so glad you asked. Because anger, hear me, I think anger has to be treated like a toddler in the car. How many know, if you got a toddler in the car, you generally don't want that toddler driving. You don't want that toddler behind the wheel. That will be damage, eruptors. Conversely, you don't want to put that toddler in the trunk. Stuffers. <laughs> what you do want to do is put that toddler in a car seat, strapped in, and periodically check in your rearview mirror to make sure the child is in its proper place. This is the biblical understanding of anger. Anger must be in its proper place. And if you don't put anger in its proper place, hear me, it will affect your calling. It will destroy your destiny. You will abort your purpose if you don't take care of this emotion called anger. I'm wondering how many in this room today have messed up the thing God wanted you to walk into, not because you weren't gifted enough, not because you weren't talented enough, but you could not control your anger. You don't believe me? Look at Cain who killed Abel because of anger. Look at Moses who missed out on the promised land because he allowed the frustration of the people to make him disobey the voice of God and he never saw the promise because his anger stopped him. How are you handling your anger? I love what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 because Paul in one verse gives us the biblical worldview on anger. Look at what he says in Ephesians 4 26. He says, be angry and do not sin. Ooh, thank you, Paul. Paul said, be angry. So that means when it comes to being a believer, the goal is not to get rid of anger. Anger is a natural emotion that God gave you. Paul says, it's all right for you to get angry, but don't sin in the anger. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. See, some of you think that to be spiritual is just to never get angry. No, 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 no. In fact, you cannot have true love and not have anger. Anger and love are inextricably connected to each other. This is why people struggle with God, because some people just want a God of love. I just want a God of love. I want a God of love. But you cannot have a God of love and not also have a God of wrath. Because love and wrath are connected. How many of you know you get angry when something threatens the thing that you love? If you don't believe me, let another kid hit your kid on the playground and watch all them scriptures go out the window and you will be tempted to kick a third grader because you love your child. Anything that you love when it is threatened, you will naturally get angry about it to protect it, to take care of it. This is why sin makes God angry because he knows the damage that sin does to his creation and he loves you so much and he doesn't want you to damage yourself. So the goal is not to get rid of anger. As a matter of fact, anger is an alarm of what you really care about. If you want to know what you care about, look at what makes you angry. If your self-image is all you care about, when anytime somebody jeopardizes your image, you will get angry at whatever that is because it will show you what you love. How do we handle this emotion called anger? The goal is not to get rid of it. The goal is to put it in its proper place. As a matter of fact, God says there are some things in the earth 
And I want my people to actually get angry about it. But that anger should actually produce change. How I many of there's some things we ought to get angry about that we see in society, but not just to get outraged to be outraged, but to make a change in the earth. We ought to be angry about injustice. We ought to be angry about poverty. We ought to be angry about racism. We ought to be angry about all kinds of things that are hurting humanity, but not just to get angry, but to make a change and to bring heaven down to earth and to change the environments we step in. So anger it's not to be getting ri gotten rid of, but to be put in its proper place. So I want to ask you today, ooh, just a practical message. What gets you angry? What gets you angry? Is it, is it when people chew too loud? People driving slow in front of you? Huh? What? Texas OU game? No, too soon? What? What gets you angry? What gets you angry? What, what, what makes you mad? <laughs> I want to know. Cowboys losing what? What? makes you mad is when the Christmas lights are tangled up and you gotta you gotta take all the time to get it untangled and you just want to throw away the whole tree and say let it be a dark Christmas what gets you angry I want to think about what gets is it when you got a brand new outfit and you go to the bathroom and you lean over the sink to make sure there's nothing in your teeth and then when you step back you got that line across what what makes you angry so you can't find the plug when you're trying to charge your phone in the hotel and you don't know where it is what makes you angry I want to know now, now, I'm being funny, but there's a method to my madness. Because I want to show you how anger is ubiquitous, but it is unique. See, what makes you go off is not what makes me go off. And what makes her go off is not what makes her go off. So all of you that are going, well, it's not my fault. If they wouldn't have done it, I wouldn't have got angry. You can't say that. Because how come they experienced the same thing, but they didn't get angry? See, many of us think we are provoked to anger. That something made us do it, but that is not the case because psychologists will tell you that anger is a secondary emotion. So whenever you're dealing with anger, you never look at anger, you look under it. See, underneath the anger is always something else that is going on. It's rarely about the thing that you're getting angry about. This actually ought to give you grace for other people. Whenever people are going off on you and they just blow up and explode on you, that'll give you grace and say, you know what, I know that is not about me. There had to be something else going on because you don't look at anger, you look under it. Sometimes under the anger is fear. Sometimes under the anger is pain. Sometimes under the anger is anxiety and you're just getting the fruit of the anger. But there's something deeper at the root. Which brings me to my text today. Oh, that was my intro. <laughs> because I am confused at this dude who is named Naaman. I'm confused in 2 Kings chapter 5 because Naaman is a soldier. He's a powerful soldier, and he has leprosy. Leprosy was an incurable disease, an incurable disease of your flesh that would start off as a spot in your body, and it would spread all over your skin to the point that when you had leprosy, you would lose a limb. You would lose a finger. Not only that, this, this disease, it had societal ramifications because once you had leprosy, because it was contagious, you had to isolate yourself from everybody that you love. You had to scream when people came close to you, unclean, unclean. This is the disease that Naaman has. And the prophet Elisha has given him the cure for his incurable disease. He says, all you got to do is go dip in the Jordan seven times times. That's all you got to do. Split splash, I was taking a bath. Sesame Street. That's all you got to do. That is the prescription. And Naaman's 
reaction to the prescription for his healing is to get mad and to go off? What is wrong with you, Naaman? What is going on? Don't look at anger. Look under it. What would make somebody go off on the prescription of their healing? I mean, come on, contextualize it. Can you imagine going to the doctor's office and you just got a cold? And he says, oh, just a common cold. Just go to the nurse's station. Just get the prescription. And you get the prescription. You're like, what? Two times a day? <laughs> Naaman, what is going on? Why are you going off? Don't look at anger. Look under it. And I think in chapter 1, excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 5, we get the blues clue of Naaman's anger. Look at what it says. Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. Here it is. He was a great man, highly regarded, and a valiant soldier. Oh, now I know why you're angry, Naaman. It's because of who you are. See, Naaman has something that I'm finding out that everybody in our culture seems to be obsessed with today. Naaman has status. Have you noticed now more than ever, our culture is obsessed with status. We all want to be followed. We all want to be liked. We all want to be retweeted. Now more than ever, people are obsessed with status. Don't get it twisted. Naaman was not an ordinary dude. He was the dude. He was the dude that every man wanted to be and every woman wanted to be with. Naaman had biceps and triceps. He had it going on. He was on the cover of every Wheaties box. Trust me, if you saw Naaman and public you'd be like oh there he go there he go oh my goodness can I get a picture with you name and name and was the man he had status and now more than ever our culture is obsessed with status everybody wants to be the somebody beat the somebody or be connected to the somebody have you noticed this if you don't believe it, do the test this afternoon. Go ask a kid. Go ask a kid. It's affected the younger generation. It used to be a time you asked a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? They say, fireman, school teacher. Ask a kid today. Famous. <laughs> and that's why, that's why they'll be on TikTok for hours just trying to get views. Whatever will get them known, they'll put themselves in danger. They'll climb a wall. They'll climb up on crates just trying to get somebody to like and see them. Everybody has this incessant, insatiable need to be noticed. We all want status. We all want fame. Great theologian Sean Carter said that fame, fame is the worst drug known to man. It's stronger than heroin. When you can look in the mirror like there I am, but still not see what you've become. We have a culture that thinks that if I just got the status, that if I just keep pushing the button on the elevator, if I could just get to the penthouse suite, I'll be good. But here's the problem. Naaman was in the penthouse suite. Naaman had the status. And yet one day he comes home, perhaps from the battlefield, perhaps right after a victory, and he takes off his armor and he looks in the mirror. And you know how you do when you're in the house and it's just you and you just got a victory. He's looking in the mirror like, who's the man? Name man. Who's the man? Name man. You know how you do when it's just you. And right as he's looking in the mirror and he's getting ready to go take a shower in his marble glass encased steam shower, he turns 
perhaps notices a spot that he's never seen on his skin before. As soon as he sees the spot, he knows exactly what it is. And this successful, brilliant, powerful soldier is trying to reconcile in his mind, how did I get leprosy? How did somebody of my status get this skin disease? See, you got to be careful whenever you're in seasons of success. Don't worry about your seasons of suffering because that's what makes you praise God. Some of you are in a season of suffering right now. That's why you're at this service. You're going to be at the 1 p.m. later, too, because you're like, oh, God, I ain't never been through this. The suffering often brings you to the feet of Jesus. You got to be careful in your seasons of success because sometimes success can sedate you to the point that you don't think you should go through anything. You don't think you'll have any troubles. Naaman is trying to figure out, how do I have a spot? And I want to let use the life of Naaman as an illustration to let you know the first thing I want you to get out of this text, which is everybody's got a spot. Everybody's got a spot. I don't care how spiritual you are. I don't care if you floated into the campus and had communion for breakfast. I promise you, I promise you, I don't care how many scriptures you know, there is an area of your life where you have some insufficiency, where you have some inadequacy. There's some area of your life that brings you down to your knees. Some of you are real good in the boardroom, but you're horrible at home. Some of you got a great marriage, but your finances are falling apart. Everybody has a spot. Some issue in your flesh, something that brings you down to your knees, something that keeps you reminded of the fact that you are human. Everybody's got a spot. Quit being blown away by people who project this image of perfection and you think that how they post it is how they live it. I promise you, behind all them filters, there's a spot. Everybody's got a spot. Name it. Is going, what do I do about this spot? I can see his wife coming in going, sweetheart. She's never seen her incredible soldier of a husband cry. And maybe she said, it's okay, baby. It hadn't spread yet. It hadn't spread. Just put on your armor. Just cover it up. Just cover it up. We can keep it here. We can keep this in the house. And isn't that what we do when you find out your spot? We love to cover it up. Oh, humanity. We will show the best and hide the mess. We don't want anybody to know. And behind your beautiful BMW 7 Series is somebody who's having all kinds of mental pain and depression. And there you are driving and can't figure out why you're not smiling. Cover it up. But I think that the walls in Naaman's house were thin because the servant girl heard about Naaman's leprosy. This girl from Israel who was brought in, hear me, to be a maid, to be a servant. I can see her one day just mopping the floor and she notices Naaman's wife crying. And I can see this servant girl speaking out saying, ma'am, I know it's not my place and you brought me here to just mop the floors, but I'm telling you that if Naaman would go see the prophet Elisha, he would be healed. If he would 
just go see him, he would get the healing that he needs. I don't know who this servant girl is. We don't even get her name. But when I get to heaven, I want to meet this girl because she started the whole miracle. You understand that if she didn't open up her mouth, Naaman would have died in his leprosy. Isn't it crazy that a maid had the key to the breakthrough? Oh, I want to pause right there and give you my second point. Servants always start the miracles. Servants always start the miracles. Some of us never get a miracle because we're looking way up. But sometimes you got to look down, and that's where the miracle is. That's why you got to be careful who you turn up your nose at and who you think you don't need because sometimes God will put the breakthrough in a person that you've dismissed. Oh, don't get arrogant just because you got the blessing now. Life will bring you to your knees and make you look to somebody that you would have dismissed. Servants always start the miracles. This unnamed servant girl initiated this entire miracle. I love the way she said it because she was gangster with it. She didn't say, if you go to Elisha, you might be healed. She said, so no, 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 no. If you go see the prophet, you will be healed. She was a servant girl from Israel, but she knew the God of Israel. She knew about a God that could split Red Seas. She knew about a God that could raise the dead. She knew about a God that could open blind eyes and open deaf ears. She knew about the miracle working power of God. And I want to pause right here just for a praise break and thank God that he still does miracles, that he can still do the impossible. I wish somebody who's going through an impossible situation right now would just stop and praise God like you know impossible is where our God starts. There's nothing that our God cannot do. Don't you let that impossible situation make you doubt the power of your God. She said, go see Elisha. You'll be healed. Here's how I know that Naaman's leprosy was bad. Here's how I know it was bad. He listened. That's how I know it was real bad. See, sometimes you got so much pride, you're like, please, I don't have to listen to you. But life will bring you to a place where people you would have dismissed, you listen to. That's how I know his leprosy had gotten bad. He said, no, no, where should I go? I love it. I didn't read it in my opening text, but he actually doesn't even go to Elisha first. He first goes to the king of Israel, and he comes with his chariot and all these gifts and an official letter thinking he could buy his miracle because Naaman has status. And when you have status and everything's gone the way you wanted it to go, you think life is transactional. And I can just buy it, but there are some things you cannot buy. Last time I checked, peace is not on Amazon. You cannot go to Target and get a good night's sleep. That is not on the rack. There are some things you cannot buy. So Naaman leaves the king of Israel. And the king of Israel has a breakdown thinking, who am I? I can't heal leprosy. And Elisha hears, and Elisha says, come to me. I love it. The king of Israel saw Naaman's leprosy as an obstacle. Elisha saw it as an opportunity for God to show himself strong and mighty. Oh, I love it. The king of Israel had the position, but Elisha had the power. The king of Israel had the title, but Elisha had the authority. See, this generation has it twisted. You want to seek the position, but God says, I'll give you the power. You don't need the position. People are trying to seek the title, but God says, I'll give you authority. And if you got authority, you don't need the title. And here goes Naaman. Can you see him? Going to Elisha's house. Ooh, he's got his chariot, Bentley chariot. Four horsepower. 
He's got all his nice robes and armor, and here he is going to Elisha's house. Can you see him? Looking real important. You know Elisha lived in the hood. Here he goes. Pulling into Elisha's hometown. I said, hold the town, whole town going, what is Naaman doing in this part of town? Goes straight up to the door of Elisha. Elisha's servant sees him first, and you know he was probably just being a fan. He probably looked out the window and said, oh, Elisha, you ain't going to believe me. Oh, your name is outside. He got a Bentley chariot out there. He's here. I can't believe it. I follow him on Instagram. I can't believe he's here. You know, the prophet Elisha was probably annoyed, said, calm down. Calm down. Because underneath all that armor, he's falling apart. The servant's like, what, 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 do, we, what do we do? Elisha says, go tell him if he'll wash in the Jordan seven times, he'll be healed. You see the servant going, huh? like, you don't want to go talk to him? Elisha's like, no, I'm watching Law and Order. You go tell him. <laughs> if he washes seven times, he'll be healed. Look at this servant going up to Naaman. See Naaman on his high horse. And the servant's like, hey, man. Follow you on the ground. Oh, I love this chariot. Uh, hey, Elisha told me to tell you, if you go wash seven times in the Jordan, you'll be healed. Can you see Naaman? Excuse me? Isn't he going to come see me? Doesn't he know who I am? Obviously not. He watching Law and Order, but he told me to tell you that if you just go wash, you'll be healed. And Naaman's rage, he can already feel the rejection that will come when this leprosy continues to spread. He cannot believe that the prophet would not even dignify him with his presence. So he said, I thought he would at least come and see me and wave his hand over the spot. He turned and went off in a rage. Hear me, just like some of you who are listening to this message today. You are in the place of Naaman because what you are experiencing is not lining up with what you thought because God did not do it the way you wanted him to do it. You're about to turn and go off and God sent me from Dallas, Texas to tell you don't go off. If you go off, you're going to miss the greatest miracle of your life. I know you had a thought of what it was supposed to be, but God wants to know can you trust him even when life didn't turn out the way you wanted it to? Can you still have faith even when you didn't get the miracle on your time schedule? Don't go off. If you go off, you're going to miss out on the greatest miracle of your life. He turned and went off and thanked God for his servants. They said, Naaman, stop. The servants always start the miracles. His servant said, Master, if he had asked you to do a great thing, wouldn't you have done it? How much more when he tells you to just go wash? Come on, Naaman, I've watched you. Kill a hundred men, Naaman. I've watched you stand against an enemy with strength and without fear. You mean to tell me you can't go splish, splash, and take a bath? And that's the problem. Because if Elijah would have looked at Naaman and said, go kill a hundred men and you'll get your healing. 
if he would have said, go bring me the head of a lion and you'll get your healing, Naaman would have done it. Oh, he would have done it. You know why? Because he would have gotten the credit for his healing. He would have said, look at what I did. Look at how I performed. But can I tell you, that is not how grace works. You cannot buy the grace of God. It is a free gift. You just got to receive it. You just got to be obedient. You cannot buy grace. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. And some of you are trying to earn the free gift that God has already given. You just got to obey. So Naaman had to realize, number three, that simple obedience is strength. Simple obedience is strength. Your strength is not in your ability to climb a wall and kill a hundred men. Sometimes the strength of your obedience is to do the simple thing. The simple thing, like text the person after service and say, I'm sorry. The simple thing, like say, will you forgive me? The simple thing. Some of you, it's not the hard thing. It's the simple thing. And here goes Naaman, who realized his strength is in his obedience. He dipped the first time. Nothing happened. I don't think anything happened. You know how you deal after you do it the first time. He's probably checking, still saw the leprosy, because that's how we do, right? When you come to church the first time, you're like, okay, God, I came. Where the miracle? Are you going to show up now? But it didn't happen. He dipped the second time. Nothing happened. He dipped the third time. Nothing happened. He dipped the fourth and the fifth time. Nothing happened. I'm convinced on the fifth time he was ready to walk away and throw in the towel, and that's who I came for. I came for somebody who's on the fifth dip, and you're about to walk away, but God didn't say dip five times. He said dip seven times. And some of you are going to miss out on the greatest miracle because you're about to walk away and you're right on the edge. He dipped the sixth time. Nothing changed. I'm sure he was ready to give up then. But he dipped the seventh time when he did what God told him to do. After that seventh time, the Bible says that his skin was completely restored because God is faithful. And if you will do what he told you to do, you'll get the miracle that you've been believing for. Somebody ought to give him some praise in this place today. God is faithful, but you gotta obey. Do what he told you to do. Don't go off. Don't go off. Hear me today. I know you're angry. I know you're mad. God told me to tell you, don't go off. If you go off, you're gonna miss out on the greatest miracle of your life. Some of you are like, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know why I'm angry. You don't know where I'm at. You think you have a right to go off. Do you have a right? Don't forget who started the miracle. It was the servant girl from Israel. Wait a minute. Naaman is the enemy of Israel. Don't forget the reason that this girl is a servant in his house is because Naaman's soldiers were at war with Israel. Do you realize this servant girl's family was in all likelihood killed and she was captured because Naaman sent the army to do it? 
you realize this girl had every right when Naaman had the leprosy to go, that's what you get. You stripped me from my house. You took my family away from you. I'm thanking God that you got leprosy. You're going to die. She had every right to do that, but yet she offers the remedy of healing to her enemy, the one that put her in the position of being a servant. Who gives the remedy to their enemy? The only person I know to do that is somebody who hung on a cross and who did no sin, but yet he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And if Jesus didn't hold your sin against you, what right do you have to hold an offense against somebody else? That bitterness is blocking you from your miracle. Tell you don't go off. If you go off, you're going to miss out.